Recorded live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Deliverance by Grace Ministries. And this evening, we're going to be discussing baptism and is it scriptural? There's a lot of talk about sprinkling and christening of children, uh, pouring of water over you. Are these forms of baptism scriptural? So tonight's text will be taken from Matthew 28:19 and Mark 16:16. 16, 16. Matthew 28:19 says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost." Mark 16:16 16, 16 says, "He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned." Jesus commanded baptism, ergo, you should do it. If he did it, it's a probably good indication that you should be doing it. So those that say, oh, well, no, you don't. Well, er, wrong. And we're going to talk later on, we're going to be talking about rebaptism and what is God-ordained and what is not. And I will tell you that this will challenge some of the beliefs that you have hold, you have held over the years about baptism and what it's about. Many denominations practice some form of baptism. It does vary widely. The mode of baptism, immersion, pouring, sprinkling, the subject of baptism, infants old enough to repent and to believe, the purpose of baptism, to be saved or to show one is saved. The Bible teaches us that there is one baptism. In Ephesians 4-5, we are taught that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Just like there is only one Lord, and three entities, by the way, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, uh, we can no more say that there are different types of baptism than we can say there are different types of gods. For to do so is to speak blasphemy. So that takes us into other questions. What if you've been baptized previous? Was that baptism scriptural? Was it the one baptism commanded by God? May you need to be rebaptized, rather, scripturally baptized for the first time. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on tonight. So I wanted to be able to answer those questions, and so let's consider an example of rebaptism. The disciples at Ephesus, Paul found that some disciples were lacking. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding disciples. The first thing he asked them was, did they receive the Spirit when they believed? In Acts 19.2, he said to them, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. From that context, we know that Paul had in mind the miraculous reception of the Spirit by the laying of hands by an apostle. Now, the laying of hands is something we're going to talk about in another sermon series, but in Acts 19, 6 and 7, we're told that Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Remember, with apostles, twelve is always the magic number. Their lack of knowledge regarding the Spirit made Paul question their baptism. In Acts 19, 2 and 3, 
He said to them, Do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into then were you baptized. So they said, Into John's baptism. And for those of you that don't know, that's referencing John the Baptist, who his sole purpose on earth was to prepare the way for Christ's coming and to be the person to baptize Christ, because shortly after he baptized Christ, he had his head lobbed off, and it was taken before the queen, and she was happy. Now, when they talk about John's baptism, John's baptism was truly to prepare people for Christ. Acts 19 and 4 says, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him, and that is Jesus Christ. Hearing the difference, these new apostles that were found in Corinth were rebaptized in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as relayed in Acts 19.5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There, we have an example of rebaptism in the New Testament. Now, in regarding their rebaptism, yes, we knew they had been previously, and in quotation marks, we're going to put baptized. But their baptism was lacking in some way. Even if it was immersion, it was lacking. Even though it was for the remission of sin, as discussed in Mark 1.4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. But their baptism was not in the name of Jesus. Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts, we're discussing, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him how to stay a few days so that he could do it. And then they heard this, and they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Because their baptism lacked some essential element, rebaptism, was necessary. And you have heard talk about churches that want you to be baptized into the church, or churches that, if you are not baptized in a particular way, will not accept you into their fold. Well, this is not a biblical or spiritual way to do baptism. Okay? Now, that's going to move us into, okay, what are the elements of scriptural baptism? What is the proper mode? Baptism in the New Testament is considered a burial. Romans 6.3 says, Do you not know as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? In Colossians 2.12, Buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay? Now, if you notice, whenever a pastor baptizes you, they lay you back, they submerge you under, and then they bring you back up. Old things pass away and all things become new. Well, down represents the dying and the death. The submersion represents the burial. And the rising up represents the resurrection or the defeating of Satan and sin. 
The Greek word baptizo means to immerse, to plunge, to dip. And Brenner wrote for the Catholic Church that for 1,300 years, baptism was an immersion of a person underwater. Baptism in itself, coming from the Greek word baptizo, means immersion. And it was immersion. If it hadn't have been that way, Paul's analytical argument about our being buried with Christ in baptism would have had no meaning. Nothing could have been simpler than baptism in its original form. When a convert declared his faith in Christ, he was taken at once to the nearest pool or stream of water and plunged into it. And henceforward, he was recognized as one of the Christian community, according to Cunningham, who wrote the Episcopalian. The biblical mode of baptism is immersion in water. And let me say that again. The biblical mode of baptism is immersion in water. Now, the proper authority. The proper authority is quite simple. It's talked about very heavily in Acts. It's talked about in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. Uh, and Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of who? Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, his authority, Christ's authority, and not the authority of preachers, priests, etc., etc. We don't have that authority. We do it in represent to represent Christ, but our authority ends with him giving us the ability to dunk you, and I do this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And if you'll notice, most pastors will say that. I baptize thee in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's scriptural to do it that way. Now, if you do a baptism that way, in Matthew 28:19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And here's the next part of that verse that's very important. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I used to know an old preacher, and, and he was an old fellow back when I knew him, when I was a young guy. He was in his 70s. And uh, he, uh, he had an old-timey little church on the outskirts of our town. And when you got saved and decided you wanted to be baptized, well... He went right then and there and got dunked in the local creek. And it didn't matter what the temperature was outside, he's ready to dunk you. So needless to say, <laughs> savings and baptisms went way down in the colder months. Baptism was just going to have to wait because they didn't want icicles hanging off of them. The biblical authority of baptism is from Jesus Christ and no one else. So let's talk about the proper purpose of baptism. And this is where, if you remember back when we started tonight, I told you that I was going to challenge the concept of baptism. I was going to challenge your thought process to baptism. So here comes the challenge. Baptism is for the remission of sin. Acts 2.38, which we have read, repent and let every one of you be baptized. 
Acts 22.16, again, also what we've read. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Father. Baptism is made possible by the fact that one is buried with Christ into his death when they are baptized. Romans 6.3, which we read earlier, it says, be baptized with Jesus Christ into his death. Colossians 2.12, let your faith, you were raised in him through faith in the working of God who raised him, meaning Jesus, from the dead. Augustine refers to the apostolic tradition by which the churches of Christ maintain it to be an inherent principle that without baptism it is impossible for any man to attain to salvation and everlasting life. Now, there is a debate on that through Christ himself who says, if you shall believe on me. Baptism, and this is a personal belief, there's really no scriptural precedent for either way, but it is my belief that if you cast your sins away and you believe upon the Father and you believe in the birth and the death and the resurrection and that he is the Lord and Savior of your life, if you were to be struck dead after that happened, you're not going to miss out on your heavenly reward. Okay, but if you are a Bible believer, you should be baptized. Now, baptism has been instituted that it should lead us to the blessings of this death, meaning your proverbial death from your old life to your new one, and through such death to eternal life. Therefore, it is necessary that we should be baptized into Jesus Christ and his death. And Martin Luther, whom, you know, I read a lot of his his writings and his works, um, and he he takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to go into Romans and to talk about baptism and the importance of baptism. So you it's very important. Baptism is an important part of your walk with Christ. Is it one of those that is absolutely 100% going to keep you out of glory land should something happen? No. So let's talk about the proper subject or the reason you would be baptized. And here again, this this is going to challenge the belief system of people. Okay? Baptism was commanded for those capable of repentance. If you are of the age of accountability, baptism is for you. Okay, baptism was permitted for those who possessed faith. Acts eight thirty seven says, and Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they're referencing baptism. Okay. Now, let's move to one that, that I've been asked about a lot. I have been asked about this many times. And I've addressed it a few times. So I'll address it here. It cannot be proven, and this is, we're going to talk about infant baptism. 
because I see it a lot. It cannot be proven by the scripture that infant baptism was instituted by Christ or begun by the first Christians after the apostles, writes Martin Luther King, or excuse me, Martin Luther, on rebaptism. Infant baptism was established neither by Christ nor apostles. In all places where scripturally we find the necessity of baptism, we are either talking about it in a dogmatic or historical point of view, it is evident that it is meant only for those who were capable of comprehending the word preached and of being converted to Christ by an act of their own will. Ah, I heard a pin drop. When one element of baptism is lacking, rebaptism is commanded. And in that case, it's despite having the proper mode, purpose, and subject. If you're missing one of those three, rebaptism is important. So let's go and let's talk about when is rebaptism necessary. If our baptism involved the wrong mode, if you were poured on or sprinkled upon, as practiced by Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, and many others, well, time to get in the immersion. If your baptism lacked proper mode, okay, if proper purpose was lacked, you would definitely want to be rebaptized. If your Baptism involved the wrong authority. If you were baptized in any way other than Jesus Christ, then you would want to be rebaptized. Now, you ask for some examples of that. I'll give them to you. Ellen White of the Seventh day Adventist. You know, you've heard me talk about part of the Seventh day Adventist church following Ellen White very heavily. Well, a lot of them put her on the same pedestal that Catholics put Mary. The Watchtower Society and Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? The Watchtower Society with Jehovah's Witnesses, again, put up there on the same pedestal. The same with Joseph Smith of the Mormons. Okay? Have any of y'all ever heard the story about how he wrote, allegedly, the Book of Mormon? Um, You would get a chuckle. But if your your baptism was under one of those authorities and not the authority of Jesus Christ, you should be baptized, be re-baptized. The only authority to baptize is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. If your baptism involves the wrong purpose, if we were baptized as a public confession of faith, by the way, now, I will tell you that most Baptists practice that as a public confession of faith. Assemblies of God practice it as a confession of faith or a uh, public confession of faith, as do the Church of God, the Church of Christ, uh, and several others. That is not the reason to be baptized. If your baptism was not for the right purpose, a demonstration of the remission of sin, which is there's a difference between a public confession of faith versus 
versus being <laughs> being baptized as a public uh, confession of faith. Rebaptism would be required to ensure that we are scripturally baptized. If our baptism involved the wrong subjects, if when baptized you were not penitent believers, if you are a baby, a young child, when people are baptized because A, their friends are doing it, because their spouse, fiance, or parents are pressuring them to do it, they may do it to please them. They may do it to make them happy. The problem is they're not doing it in they're not doing it to please God. So therefore, you would need to be rebaptized when you have chosen to follow God. As infants, and, and this is important, infants are incapable of faith or repentance. So even though someone may have them, quote, baptized, quote, christened, or any other number of things, all they're doing is giving them a bath, just add some water to it, or add some soap to it, because there's no scriptural being for any of that. And it's just a place for parents to get together and watch their baby be given a bath by a preacher, priest, etc. To be honest, it's a waste of time and has no biblical or scriptural backing for it at all. Just remember that, based on the Bible itself, there's only one baptism. Baptism is commanded by the authority of Christ. Baptism is for the remission of sins. Baptism, which represents the burial, is an immersion, not a sprinkle, not a pour. Baptism requires someone to be a penitent believer. The purpose isn't to say, oh, well, your salvation's in trouble. It's simply to say that if you're going to do it, do it right. And people teach many types of baptisms, and they practice it many different ways throughout the religious world. But at the end of the day, there is one God who gave a commanding of one baptism, and that is the baptism of immersion or submersion, if you want to use the term. And if God's leading you to be rebaptized, then you should do so. If you're not sure, well, probably a good indicator you should be rebaptized. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that you bestowed upon us. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for Another year in the books, we thank you for living in a nation where we're free to worship you and to be who and what we want to be. We ask that you would spread your blessings out of 2018, help those of us in faith become stronger in you, and to use your word as a light and a lamp into our feet, and to stand up and to protect other Christians and to protect our country, but most importantly, to be a light to those who may not know your love and your grace. Be with us now as we go about our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.